Ronan could hear the night horrors coming, in love with his blood and his sadness. Their wings flapped in time with his heartbeat. Chapter 17, page 128, The Dream Thieves. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And, and we're, we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle Podcast. Where we talk about five dysfunctional teenagers and how they managed to completely misplace an entire magical forest. <laughs> Uh, this is episode 20, and we're covering chapters 15 through 18 of The Dream Thieves. And we will also be taking a deep dive on the mythology of dreams. Woohoo! Disclaimers! This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven Cycle as a cycle. This means we're spoilerific, so you'll probably want to have read the books before listening. Mm -hmm. We'll use the pronunciations from the audiobooks, and page numbers are referenced from the paperback editions. And a disclaimer from me, this podcast has a Teen Plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, and hopefully no gray man violence. I don't think so this time. Nope. <laughs> Shannon's being nice to me today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, let's get on to the episode. Okay. All right. Chapter 15. It's an Adam POV chapter. Adam thinks back to the first time he met Gansey, how horrible he thought he would be, and how he helped him fix the ground wire on the pig. This will have no symbolic meaning whatsoever. Nope. No siree. Wait, what? Cave water is gone? Whatever could have happened to it? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. They are in the car on the way to Cave's Water. And Adam remembered how cruel he had thought Gansey would be. We start out this chapter with Adam troubled. He's reflecting on what might have been. It's basically a flashback to Adam's first meeting with Gansey. Uh-huh. And my immediate thought was, oh, come on, Gansey doesn't seem that intimidating. And then I remembered how much I've called him out on privileged behavior and realized that, yeah, he would be intimidating. <laughs> yeah. And Adam thinks there wasn't a day during his first month at Aglenby Academy when he hadn't doubted his decision to come there. Mm -hmm. Gansey is everything that Adam hates about Aglenby. It was impossible to forget that he had arrived with a life intact and instead fit Aglenby into it. This paragraph, as Adam is describing Gansey, it's basically his version of President's cell phone. Yeah, basically. And as together as Gansey seems on the outside, he and the life he has must feel beyond unattainable to Adam. Yeah. Adam describes Gansey as the boy who all eyes turn to when he strode into the gym. The easiest smile when called on in Latin. Yeah, how did I not know Adam was by? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess there's some between the line reading at this point. <laughs> you know, and Gansey's also a gross teacher's pet, which I'm sure made it even worse for Adam. Uh-huh. He was the boy with the most beautifully interesting car and the most savagely handsome of friends, Ronan Lynch. <laughs> uh, Adam, you might want to wipe the drool off your chin. <laughs> and again, I totally did not pick up on this, like, at all. <laughs> yeah. And he thinks that Gansey was the opposite of Adam in every possible way. And I don't know that I'd say that. Like, mm. they're, they're very different, but I don't know about opposite. No, uh, yeah, they're probably not. But mm. Adam talks about how he would sit in class with his head on trying to learn to clip his accent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's code switching. It's a thing that happens when you have a less than accent. Mm -hmm. And I'm intimately familiar. I've done it too, but not 
not on purpose. Right. Gainsey, a furious sun glowed from the other side of the universe, his gravitational pull too distant to affect Adam. That's just such a beautiful description. Agreed. Gainsey seemed to be friends with the entire school, but it was Ronan who was always with him. Gainsey tries so hard to be an extrovert. Yeah, an ambivert maybe? <laughs> we are a thing. Uh, that's true. <laughs> But thinking about it, are are any of them true extroverts? Not really. <laughs> They're all pretty introverted. Mm-hmm. It was this friendship, all wordless glances and wry twists of the mouth, that made Adam think Gainsey must be cruel. Mm-hmm. And there's a possibility that it, some of it is Gainsey taking on some of Ronan's mannerisms. Mm-hmm. Because I'll do that sometimes if I hang out with somebody enough. Right. You know? And also I know that I can find inside jokes intimidating when I'm not in on them. Right. Like excluding and intimidating. I wonder if... If he's interpreting because he expects to hate Gansey mm. as Gansey being mean when Gansey's he's just totally not, not. and he's, he's just kind of like, oblivious to it all. He really is, yeah. <laughs> Ronan and Gansey were laughing, he thought, at a joke where the rest of the world was the punchline. And this reminded me of Ronan's point of view. They had been a two-headed creature for so long, Ronan and Gansey. Mm-hmm. That's 219 in The Dream Thieves. And I can see this, though, like Adam judging Gansey for what he thinks Gansey is judging him for. Right. And this is not an environment where Adam feels safe, and he keeps his head down and tries to be invisible, just like at home. Poor kid. I know. (laughs) And no, Adam and Gansey didn't speak. They didn't exchange a word until six weeks into the year. And this confirms that timeline we talked about in episode 17, the fall after Ronan and Gansey became friends the summer before Adam. That's Uh page 36. And then Adam notices the pig on the side of the road, and he debates whether he should stop, knowing that it's not an unusual sight. Right. It's six weeks into the school year and Adam has seen Gansey standing by a broken down pig at least twice already. Right. That car. Yeah. And he thinks he remembered how afraid he'd been right then. Mm. I just want to throw in Adam's description of the pig as Gansey's glorious burning orange Camaro. Mm-hmm. Adam likes his cars like he likes his guys. Muscly. <laughs> oh my god. And born in the 70s. Um... <laughs> Sense, Navita. <laughs> They're not born in. None of them are born in this <laughs> No, but the gray man might have been. Okay, moving oh, on. What? The gray man might have oh, been. Okay. okay. <laughs> oh shit, Navita. <laughs> hey, it, it's there's even a ship name. It's grayish. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, right. where were we? <laughs> His stomach had been a ruin of fear. Adam has been kicked like a dog. Here we really see what it was like before he met Ronan and Gansey. There was a hint of it when he was sitting on the steps in Chapter 36 in The Raven Boys. Mm -hmm. And here we see how deeply it really did affect him. And there it says, The distant memories seemed difficult, lonely, more populated with late nights where Adam sat on the steps of the double wide, blinking tears out of his eyes and wondering why he bothered. Mm -hmm. That's page 337. Adam describing Gansey's accent as slow and lovely. Mm-hmm. It's a southern versus Appalachian accent. They're slightly different. Mm-hmm. Adam's self-deprecating, well, I know a little about cars, and then his palpable embarrassment and shame when he thinks Gansey doesn't want his help. Oh, right. man. Poor yeah. kid. Adam stops, almost calling Gansey dick. Mm-hmm. Gansey says, just Gansey. That's all there is. Yep. 
the worthlessness of him. His secondhand uniform, his shitty bike, his stupid accent. He didn't know what had possessed him to stop. And compare this to the end of The Raven King, and you really do see how far Adam has come, how calm and confident and self-possessed he is after these people he met have influenced his life. Uh Uh-huh. Like, they all help each other grow so much. Exactly. Then Gansey, his eyes full of the real Gansey. Like Blue, Adam is looking for the reality underneath Gansey's skin. Mm Mm-hmm. Gansey says something about wanting to speak the pig's language and then says, speaking of languages, you school me at Latin every day. You're as good as Ronan. Here's Gansey complimenting Adam by comparing him to Ronan. Uh-huh. My note here is that Gansey is pretty flippin' smooth here, mm-hmm. honestly. It's actually a nice job in helping an obviously uncomfortable Adam feel more comfortable again. Right. Like, and he kind of just does it naturally. Right. And Adam and Gansey become friends quickly. In only the time it took to get to school that morning, Adam repairing the ground wire on the pig and Gansey giving him that ride to school. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about it a little more later, and I'm maybe pointing out the obvious here, but Adam is fixing something that is draining the car battery or causing the alternator to not work properly. Right. Gansey uses his classic pickup line, what do you know about Welsh kings? (laughs) Yeah. So there's this person I'm dating. Are you interested? Right. (laughs) His name's Glendary. He's been dead for 400 years, but uh, we're going steady. It's super exclusive. You want in? (laughs) Their friendship had been cemented in only the time it took to get to school that morning. Adam wonders what would have happened if he hadn't become friends with Gansey. He probably wouldn't still be at Aglenby. No? I'm surprised that he doesn't think he would have toughed it out. Mm -hmm. Maybe it really was that bad. Yeah, I mean, it it could have been. But that looking back on pivotal moments like that, like, Mm -hmm. it's like, I know how that feels. Right. What I usually think is like, what if I'd chosen a different college? Right. Because like all my close friends and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we go to the present and Gansey is being a weirdo. Put your back into it, Gansey shouted breathlessly. (laughs) Don't let it smell fear on you. Like, what the hell? (laughs) It's just weird. (laughs) The descriptions here of how each of them express their excitement, Mm -hmm. it really captures them, I think. Gansey was giddy. He hated nothing more than standing still. He asked Ronan to put on some terrible music, and Ronan was always too happy to oblige in this department. Mm -hmm. Blue wailed each time the engines revved. Noah played the drums in the back of Ronan's headrest. Mm -hmm. Adam did his best to not appear unwild so as not to ruin it for the others. Right. Is he being nervous? Is it worried? Is it tension? Does he know something's wrong? I think it's kind of just nervousness Mm -hmm. and, like, maybe a bit of knowing that something's wrong. Mm -hmm. They haven't been back since the sacrifice. Right. And Adam's wondering what will happen once he's there in person again. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, the whole what have I done thing? What's going to happen? Right. Adam notes that his hands felt chilly, even though his lower back is sweaty against the seat. This, coupled with the later line, I can't trust my eyes, makes me think that maybe Cave's water is tapping into his hands and eyes as he bargained. Mm -hmm. Then Gansey pats the Camaro and says, that'll do, pig. That'll do. What a goddamn nerd. I know. I had totally forgotten that there was a babe reference. Yeah. (laughs) Later, Ronan makes a Harry Potter reference. (laughs) 
Adam felt like he was watching it all from outside. Adam seems to be dissociating again here, as often happens when he's involved in magical, mystical stuff. Mm-hmm. Caveswater may be trying to talk to him, or maybe it's his own intuition. He felt like he was about to catch another image, like the flick of the tarot cards that he'd looked at earlier. Right. And later, when Adam goes through his sort of initiation ritual, he sees the tarot card symbolism. Then, as well, it's like Caveswater trying to reach his subconscious. Uh-huh. He thinks to himself, was that somebody standing by the road? There were a number of things he could be seeing here. Mm -hmm. It could be Kavinsky. It could Mm -hmm. be like one of the ghosts that he has been seeing because of Caveswater. Mm -hmm. It could be an image of himself later. Mm -hmm. I tend to think that it's one of the people or ghosts that Caveswater is showing him. But Mm -hmm. heck, he could be seeing himself from later in the book when he wanders away from Gansey's parents' house. That's true. Mm -hmm. And then Gansey talks about how much he loves the pig and how he should buy four more of them. (laughs) Well, he only needs three more. They will indeed get one more at the end of the series. (laughs) I also quite like the dramatic irony on the second read through. He says he loves the pig, then it breaks down almost immediately afterwards. Mm -hmm. The Camaro charged down the gravel road that would take them to the forest, a cloud of dust parachuting behind them. This is beautifully visual. I Uh really hope that it makes it into the TV show. Yeah. Adam knows something's wrong, but not what or how to put into words before they even cross the hill. Mm-hmm. He feels an ache in his stomach, as ferocious as that day when he first stopped his bike by Gansey's car. Again, like you said, I almost feel like he's anxious about meeting Caveswater again. Mm-hmm. And when Adam stopped at Gansey's car, that worked out, didn't it? Mm-hmm. And he thinks, was that another image? A blank screen. Blank. Nothing's there. Cave's water's gone. Right. And they see that scrubby grass gave way to a wash where a stream must have been. So even the border stream is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like it. I was actually wondering about the Raven Geoglyph. Oh, yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, that must be gone with Cave's water as well. And then question, would Cave's water show up on satellite? Was it in Gansey's photo? That's Google a- Earth? <laughs> That's a good question. I kind of like think maybe it wouldn't show up on satellite, but... They reached the crest of the hill and there were no trees. The car fell quiet. Mm -hmm. I wonder where the Tirialentes went. I mean, I guess the same place that Noah did. Lost in time? Yeah. It was not that there had been trees and now they were gone. It was as if there had never been trees. The shock would be devastating. It really would. I think my reaction would be similar to Gansey's, like just deliberately checking coordinates, Mm -hmm. even though you know you're right, just trying to make things make sense. Right. They hadn't made a wrong turn. They hadn't overshot the road or parked in the wrong place. This was where they'd found Cave's Water. This was where it all had begun. It's starting. It's starting. Mm -hmm. And then Noah finally said it. It's gone. Mm -hmm. I do find it interesting that Noah is still there since there's not enough energy for Cave's Water to stick around. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's very weak. Yeah, but he does fade Mm -hmm. very shortly after this. So chapter 16. It's an Adam POV chapter. The pig dies. Hmm. Still not symbolic in any way. (laughs) Ronan throws a hissy fit. Gansey calls Declan for a new battery. Ronan throws a bigger hissy fit. (laughs) There is also a surprising amount of sexual tension, weirdly between everyone except the two who are dating, for a scene that takes place entirely in the backseat of a car. Wait, no. Hmm. (laughs) 
All right. <laughs> I love that this chapter starts with and. It very much gives that pacing and brings us directly from the last chapter and the Camaro broke down. Mm-hmm. I kind of picture it as like the and the Camaro broke <laughs> yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> In the last chapter, we learned that Adam and Gansey met because of a scene very much like this one, and it gives a nice frame of reference for what's going on. Mm-hmm. Its sense of timing was impeccable. Nice biting bit of sarcastic humor. Uh-huh. <laughs> to go all the way back to episode one, we had a debate on whether or not the pig was magical, or if the electronics are just being affected by the surge of the ley line, like the other items in Henrietta. Uh-huh. Yeah, my note with the and then the chimera broke down was, I know we've had this conversation a million times, but I still feel like the pig is magical or affected by the ley line. Yeah, I never said it wasn't affected by the ley lines. I just think it's affected like the lights at Dollar City are affected. Yeah, possibly. And because it's a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> the pig is ailing and anthropomorphic. The first subtle sounds of fluid filling the Camaro's lungs. Radio stutter, like it had lost its train of thought. The air conditioner coughed politely into its fist. The pig is polite, at least, like uh-huh. Gansey. I'm actually a little freaked out by the anthropomorphic personification going on with the pig ear. Mm-hmm. And just like the engine ticks like the twitch of a dying man's foot. Right. <laughs> We use the E word a lot, but you do have to admit this line is very evocative. Uh (laughs) And then Ronan's like, this car, this fucking car, man. (laughs) Agreed, Ronan. Right. (laughs) A Plymouth Voyager would have been crushed for war crimes long ago. War crimes. (laughs) Really? War crimes. (laughs) All right. Adam felt like the pig's status perfectly encapsulated how he felt. It was not really dead, just broken. Oh, man. Mm, Poor kid. And he thinks, why can't things just be simple? Yeah, I wish they could. Yeah. Gansey asks for a consult from Adam. Adam replies that it's the alternator, maybe. (laughs) True, but funny enough, the ground wire, as talked about in last chapter, could actually be what's keeping the alternator from working. Mm -hmm. And Gansey says, say it in a language I understand. It reflects the, it's no good if I can't speak its language. Right. An indigate homo battery, muttered Ronan. (laughs) Ronan, you asshole. (laughs) But also very funny. Uh-huh. He is correct that Gansey speaks a dead language, but not mechanics. Mm-hmm. Also, this phrase means, as near as I can tell, something like a man needs a battery. Uh-huh. But the Latin probably stays as shitty as ever. Right. I love that Adam just responds with, he's right. <laughs> thus not acknowledging Ronan as being an ass and also not questioning that Gansey will be able to translate. Right. <laughs> also, I Google translated it and got in need of battery, if we can trust Google Translate. Maybe it's homo as in the same, like homogenous, versus homo uh, yeah, as I, in man. But I it don't might, know. Uh, yeah. But eh, who knows? <laughs> neither way does it really make sense. So <laughs> whatever, Ronan. Um, the thing about Ronan Lynch Adam had discovered was that he wouldn't or couldn't express himself with words. So every emotion had to be spelled out in some other way. A fist, a fire, a bottle. Now he needed to go have a silent shouting fit with his body. Mm-hmm. We talked last episode about Maggie's thumbnail sketches of the characters. Here's what she said about Ronan. Ronan, remember that R gets angry when forced to say feelings rather than being allowed to merely demonstrate them. Mm-hmm. Remember, he and B process through touch. Right. This is another example of Adam being observant and really just getting what Ronan's about. Right. Well, that's helpful, Blue said tersely. 
And it's like, you know, I have issues with people yelling and throwing things or basically having temper tantrums. Mm-hmm. But I think Blue is being a bit harsh on Ronan here. Mm-hmm. He's going off on his own and not really being destructive or subjecting anyone else to... He's just going off to process. Right. And yeah, I noticed that Blue doesn't understand, but Adam does. He has Ronan pegged. Uh Uh-huh. And Adam didn't quite catch all of Ronan's growled reply. Only two of the swear words. A black painted poetry. (laughs) And Blue and Gansey duck their head together. Like in the kitchen, the image seared something inside Adam, but it was just one more sting in a sea of jellyfish. I just want to hug him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor guy. Adam knows that the way Blue and Gansey are huddled together over that map means something, even if they won't admit it. And it stings. Mm-hmm. Like like you just mentioned, one more sting in a sea of jellyfish. Right. Just like, poor kid. Right. And Ronan makes what I can only interpret as, as a connoisseur of such things, a really unsavory joke. Ugh, Ronan, really? Ugh. <laughs> uh. And we learned that the location of Cabe's Water is past or near Deering, Virginia. Okay. Maybe we can just be really manly and break things, Blue says. And Adam knew these words were meant for him. He did say he would feel better if she actually got mad. But I don't this think... Is, yeah. This is the That's, wrong place for it. Right, like, exactly. Get mad at him where they can process and deal with exactly. it. Not in a sarcastic, backhanded, getting mad at Ronan kind of way. Right. And that's... That's kind of where I am with that. But after comments from Blue that Adam takes personally, he does start to put together, as always, making connections, using up the last of the battery before it couldn't go on. And now Cave's water was gone, using up the last of the charge. Like in the last chapter, the ground wire and battery, the ley line, uncharging, it's needing repair. Right. And yeah, like, of course, it's Adam who makes this connection between like all that stuff and like Noah blinking out and all Mm. that kind of stuff. Gansey says that he's calling Declan, and Ronan throws a fit. Gansey nodded, but he also dialed Declan's number. <laughs> Old married. <laughs> yes. And Ronan told Gansey what he thought of the plan, very precisely, with a lot of compound words that even Adam <laughs> hadn't heard before. Oh. <laughs> like, this is so those two. Yeah. Ronan, who leaned his cheek hard enough against the top of the window to make a dent in his skin. Oh my god, you petulant brat! (laughs) Get over it! You call him a brother! Why are you calling my brother? I know! Jeevany, (laughs) shut up! (laughs) Gansey says, everyone else I know is out of town. You know everyone in town! Uh You can call the judge, apparently! (laughs) He'd bring you a freaking battery! (laughs) There was a post that basically was like, the only reason you'd call Declan is if he's your side piece. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Gansey again turns to Adam for answers. Why is it gone? Adam replies that he doesn't know. Then Gansey asks Blue, is it science or is it magic? Adam makes a dismissive sound. Why? Is it just the scientific part of his brain? Possibly. Is he being dismissive of the science part or the magic part? (laughs) Or maybe all of it. Or maybe all of it. And then Blue (laughs) says that she knows what Gansey means. She understands Gansey. They speak the same language of wanting magic. Uh Uh-huh. 
I also kind of like her response of, you know, did it go or was it taken? Right. Mm -hmm. Adam wasn't sure he believed in true invisibility. He'd tried it and it never seemed to protect him. Mm -hmm. Adam asks Noah, are you still there and we can't see you? Right. Last episode, I noted that Ronan had basically said the same question and Noah had responded with, rub it in, why don't you? I'm still not sure what that's supposed to mean. (laughs) Maybe just that, like, Noah feels unseen. Mm -hmm. Just having that question ask right like he doesn't have a choice over it right kind of how i interpreted it Mm -hmm. like it's not like he gets to choose that he's gone right and so rub it in why don't you Mm -hmm. he was adam noted nearly disappeared already he was more of a feeling of noah than actually noah a boy-shaped thing Mm -hmm. so ronan says he went away if you're saying cave's waters like noah it's not invisible it's gone somewhere ronan was there when noah came back in dollar city he smelled the forest where Noah died. He felt the heat of the day. Where would Caves Water go, though? Through time? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Maybe back to Wales. Mm-hmm. I like that it's Ronan who answers for Noah here. Mm-hmm. I think it works because of A, the close friendship the two have, mm-hmm. and B, the fact that I think Ronan has a good intuition where Caves Water is concerned because of his connection to it. Right. Mm-hmm. There was a breath silence. This was where Gansey, if he were Ronan, would swear. If he were Adam, he'd close his eyes. If he were blue, he'd snap in exasperation. But Gansey merely rubbed a thumb over his lip and then drew himself up. Mm-hmm. It's like, I freaking love this. It's all their frustration ticks just laid right out. Right. Gansey tucks away his anxiety. He was instantly cool and elegant, all true emotions placed in an undisclosed location. He writes a note in his journal and caged it with terse brackets. Mm-hmm. I also love that Gansey is able to just shut his anxiety in the journal for at least a moment. It's like, I wish I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> Compartmentalization! So yes, it would be so helpful. <laughs> Declan shows up and Ronan jumps into the back seat, throwing one jean-covered leg over the top of Adam's and laying his head in a posture of thoughtless abandon. <laughs> I expect like <laughs> a swoon like hand to the uh-huh. back of hand to the forehead. <laughs> Ronan looked as if he'd been asleep for days. Well, he probably hasn't slept for days. Mm-hmm. And then Declan walks up. Declan's gaze followed his brother's leg to where it rested on top of Adam's and his expression tightened. This one sentence tells me that Declan knows what Ronan won't even admit to himself. Also, Declan, don't judge. <laughs> Please don't judge. Adam's a decent choice. Uh-huh. Yeah, my note here was Ronan sprawling out over Adam, followed by Declan's reaction. At first glance, it made me laugh. But then uh-huh. now that I think about it, it kind of shouldn't be funny. Yeah. I mean, it is, but it's not. Uh-huh. Yeah. Gansey calling Declan D cracks me up. <laughs> with no effort, he pushed open the door, forcing Declan back without seeming to. A battle of genial smiles and deliberate hand gestures. For all you Declancy shippers out there, here you go. <laughs> and Adam watched sharply from the back seat. He realized something startling. Adam again, knowing, observing. Ronan is so blind to his brother. Uh-huh. Adam notices that Declan is afraid and that all of the others would probably miss the fact for various reasons. But to Adam, who'd spent a fair amount of his life afraid, not only afraid, but trying to hide it, it was obvious. Mm-hmm. My reaction here was a sad, I guess it would be. Right. <laughs> And something to look for. Does this observation inform Adam's actions towards Declan or otherwise mm-hmm. in any way? Yeah, it's a good question. Mm-hmm. 
The problem with getting the facts about Declan from Ronan was that Ronan always assumed that his brother was lying. Lying to protect him. Uh Uh-huh. And then, do you remember when I told you to keep it down months ago? How is Declan doing this? He's still maybe 18. Right. 19 at the most? Uh Uh-huh. It's like, yes. It's like, Declan's warning of people are watching. And if you slip up, you screw things up for all of us. So don't slip up. He's trying so hard to protect Ronan and Matthew. And he can't talk to anybody about it. Right. And I feel so bad for reading him as a total jerk the first time through. (laughs) Yep. And Declan says, people are watching. And nobody asks him who. Mm -hmm. Like, who's watching, Declan? And then Mm -hmm. you will screw things up for all of us. Like, Aurora could be found, and she is. Mm -hmm. And Matthew could sleep or die if Ronan's killed. Right. He would lose everyone in his family if Ronan fucks it up. Right. And Declan, when you lose your license, I will what? Ground him? (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do? Gansey's voice cut through, deep and responsible. The voice that would make even the sun stop to give him the time. Mm -hmm. Folks seem to think that the kingly voice is something that just spontaneously happens in Blue Lily Lily Blue. But there are multiple occasions when he uses it before that. Right. Gansey uses Blue as an excuse to get Declan to stop. I know you don't want to make a scene in front of... Oh, don't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. asshole men or boys it's misogyny and both boys looked at blue i would be pissed i fully support blue ripping gansey a new one for this right i totally agree though somehow i'm less mad at him for this than the nino's incident (laughs) yeah declan retreats and gansey comes back sorry jane at least he knows he did an asshole thing Mm -hmm. it doesn't excuse it though absolutely not now his voice sounded weary nothing like the broad persuasion he just exercised on declan gansey the boy not gansey the king Mm -hmm. and gansey hefts the new battery and asks adam if he wants to do this thing adam the fixer the mechanic, the magician. Mm -hmm. And the Lynch brothers had fought, but that was merely evidence that they were both still breathing. Mm -hmm. Adam reflects on the pig. It was always either dying or rising again. It's foreshadowing. Gansey the phoenix, the once and future king. Right. He said it like it was an ordinary day, but in everything Gansey didn't say, in every feeling he didn't paint on his face, he was shouting, it's gone. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, deep dive. A deep dive on the mythology of dreams. Yay! I want to start with two quotes. Nights through dreams tell the myths forgotten by the day. And that's Carl Jung from Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. Mm -hmm. And then, a dream is a personal experience of that deep, dark ground that is the support of our conscious lives. And a myth is the society's dream. The myth is the public dream, and the dream is the private myth. Interesting. And that's from Joseph Campbell, The Power of Myth. Okay. So humanity's interest in dreams and dream interpretation has existed at least as far back as the written word. Mm -hmm. The Egyptian dream book is a papyrus that was found at Deir el Medina, not far from the Valley of Kings. This book, dated to the reign of Ramses II, which was 1279 to 1213 BC, Mm -hmm. lists several different types of dreams and how to interpret them, with good dreams listed first, followed by the bad ones written in red, red being the color of bad omens. There was also a dream book in Mesopotamia written around the time of the Epic of Gilgamesh, or shortly after, 1300 to 1000 BCE, Mm -hmm. called Isker Zakik, 
And Zakik means the spirit or ghost, and it's the name of a dream god. Okay. The Assyrian book categorizes visions from dreams into three types. Messages from a deity, reflections of the dreamer's state of mind or health, and prophetic dreams. Zakik is also used in some context signifying to become turn into wind or nothingness, to leave all attachments behind and drift. Zakik is also described as a psychopomp, capable of venturing between the world of the living and the world of the dead. Mm-hmm. And the Bible also has mentions of dreams and dream interpretation in the Old Testament, likely written in the 5th or 6th century BCE, such as the story of Pharaoh's dream and Joseph in Genesis 41.1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river, and 41.15, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream and interpret it. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some creation myths that are related to dreams. There's a native North American tribe whose traditional lands are around the New England area, the Abenaki. They believe that dreaming is the center of the creation of the world. Mm -hmm. According to their mythology, the great spirit initially lived in a void, a world with neither form nor function. So he summoned the great turtle to form the lands of the world, and he piled clay onto the turtle's shell to create mountains. But then he came to a moment of indecision. What kind of creatures will live on this world? And as he thought about it, he drifted off to sleep and dreamed of all the animals and people. Upon waking, he saw that in dreaming, he had created the inhabitants of the earth. Mm -hmm. Something, though, that has always struck me about this is that while he was dreaming, he thought he was having a nightmare. Oh, (laughs) In Hindu mythology, there is a belief that a form of the god Vishnu, known as Maha Vishnu, experiences a creative sleep and for the duration of one breath manifests and destroys tiny universes which emanate from the pores of his skin, his one breath being equal to total universal time. It is said he dreamt of the universe while in his cosmic sleep. Vishnu, the cosmic consciousness, was reclining on the serpent Anatta, one without beginning or end, who was floating in these waters. Lost in a deep sleep, Vishnu dreamt of this creation, and as he did so, a lotus sprouted forth from his navel. The stem grew longer and longer until the lotus blossomed, and sitting on the lotus was Brahma. And these both remind me of what Kala said about Ronin, that he was creating. Right. And so since the Raven Cycle is so full of references to Celtic mythology, I thought that's where I'd look first for dream mythology. One of the first things I found was Kyr Ibameth, a Celtic goddess associated with dreams and prophecy. Her legend kind of reminds me of Aurora in some ways. Mm-hmm. The legend goes that she appeared to Angus Og, god of love, youth, and poetic inspiration, as he lay dreaming one night. He saw this beautiful woman in his dreams, and she looked so real that he reached out for her, but she disappeared. This went on every night for a year. Angus lost interest in waking life, wanting only to sleep and see this beautiful visitor in the dream world. His family finally intervened, with first his mother and then his father searching for cure. This had been going on for two years when Angus' father went to the king of the Shi for help. Hmm. Even... Good idea, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know. (laughs) Different Um, times. mm -hmm. Even with this help, it took another year to find Kier. They found Kier's father and asked for her hand in marriage for Angus. Her father told them that Kier was able to switch forms and alternated years. Every Salon, she would switch forms. Mm -hmm. And she alternated years living as a swan and as a woman. Mm -hmm. To win her hand, Angus would have to find and identify her from among 150 other swans in her swan form. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So three years having elapsed, Angus goes to the lake where Kier will be and looks for her among all the swans there. He finally finds her because though all the swans are wearing necklaces, all the others are silver while hers is gold. That seems like a rookie mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Kier then allows Angus to become a swan as well, and the two fly off together singing a song so beautiful that it puts everyone who hears it to sleep for three days and nights. Mm Mm-hmm. There actually is a really beautiful Scottish lullaby. I think it's called Dream Angus. Mm -hmm. Just FYI. Yeah, I kind of saw that, but I haven't had a chance to like... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then Greek mythology, of course, has Morpheus, the god of dreams. Mm -hmm. Morpheus was the son of Nyx, the personification of night, if you go by Greek myths. And the Romans said he was the son of Somnus, the personification of sleep, who was the child of Nyx. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he's either night's grandson or son. Morpheus is said to have numerous siblings, collectively known as the Oneroi, the Greek word for dream intellectually being Oneros. Apart from Morpheus, two other Oneroi can be identified by their names, Phobator and Phantasos. Phobator, meaning to be feared, from where we get our word phobia, was thought to be the bringer of nightmares and had the ability to appear as animals or monsters. Phantasos, from where we get fantasy, was believed to bring surreal and strange dreams Mm -hmm. and was able to appear as inanimate objects such as stone or wood. Mm -hmm. Morpheus brought messages and prophecies from the gods to mortals through the medium of dreams. Thus he appeared particularly to kings and heroes and often took on the appearance of a human being. When not appearing in dreams, Morpheus and his brothers were said to have possessed human forms with wings on their back. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it said that he was chosen because he was more able Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. change into a human form and that their actual form was like a bird. Right. It actually was not a human form with wings on their back. It was like similar to Ronan's Night Horrors, like a man-bird amalgam that was like a nightmare creature. Okay. Yeah, I saw that like he was chosen because of his ability Mm -hmm. his adaptiveness to changing into human form but i hadn't seen the whole like bird thing right so a passage from ovid's metamorphosis and i'm choosing the translation from the oxford world's classics then father sleep chose from among his sons his thronging thousand sons one who in skill excelled to imitate the human form morpheus his name than whom none can present more cunningly the features gait and speech of men their wanted clothes and turn of phrase he mirrors only men another forms the beasts and birds and the long gliding snakes the gods have named him isolos here below the tribe of mortals call him phobeter a third excelling in an art diverse is Phantasos. He wears the cheating shapes of earth, rocks, water, trees, inanimate things. To kings and chieftains, these at night display their phantom features. Other dreams will roam among the people haunting common folk. All these dream brothers, the old god passed by and chose Morpheus alone to undertake Iris's commands. Then in sweet drowsiness on his high couch, he sank his head to sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. And just the fact that these were seeing his prophetic dreams mm-hmm. as well as messages reminds me of Ronan's dreams seem to have prophetic nature at times as well. Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. His dream about Adam in these chapters is a good example. Right. <laughs> so more modern personifications of dreams or dreaming and sleep include the Sandman, not the Neil Gaiman comic. Although relevant and related. That would take so long to talk (laughs) about. No, that first appeared in writing with a German short story by E.T.A. Hoffman. It was the first in an 1817 book of stories entitled Die Nachstück, The Night Pieces. Mm -hmm. The Sandman there is described as... 
Oh, he is a wicked man who comes to little children when they won't go to bed and throws handfuls of sand in their eyes so that they jump out of their heads all bloody, and he puts them into a bag and takes them to the half moon as food for his little ones, and they sit there in the nest and have hooked beaks like owls, and they pick naughty little boys and girls' eyes out with them. Eep. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That is not the Sandman I'm familiar with. (laughs) So Hans Christian Andersen also visited the character in 1841. This character is decidedly kinder, though it is revealed near the end that he is the brother of death, similar to Hypnos and Thanatos. From Wikipedia, this is a literary fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen based upon a folk tale telling of a mysterious mythic creature of the Sandman who gently takes children to sleep and depending on how good or bad they are shows them various dreams and under each arm he carries an umbrella one of them with pictures on the inside he spreads over the good children and then they dream the most beautiful stories the whole night but the other umbrella has no pictures and this he holds over the naughty children so that they sleep heavily and wake in the morning without having dreamed at all Hmm. and we talk a little about mara the nightmare in the holy stone deep dive in episode 11 glendower in the back So the last bit from me, the concept of dreaming as an other world. Mm -hmm. And some cultures believe that dreaming is a realm all to itself. Some Aboriginal people of Australia believe that dreaming is where the past, present, and future coexist. From aboriginalart.com.au, the dream time is the Aboriginal understanding of the world, of its creation, and its great stories. The dream time is the beginning of knowledge from which came the laws of existence. For survival, these laws must be observed. And I will respectfully say that I cannot possibly cover this concept with the depth that it deserves. Mm -hmm. And even the title of Dreamtime is Western and Reductionist. Right. There is something about it, though, that in my limited understanding makes me think of the space where caves water and the dreaming must exist. Right. Especially the past, present and future coexisting bit. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's the source of all for them. Right. And that spark of creation like we talked about earlier. Right. And so to wrap it up, I found a little bit about what science says about dreaming. The fun thing is, science isn't exactly sure why we dream. (laughs) Yeah. They don't know for sure. But what we do know is that while it's possible to dream in any stage of sleep, really vivid dreams are most likely to occur during REM or rapid eye movement sleep. Right. Studies have shown the importance of dreams to our health and our well-being. In one study, researchers woke subjects just as they were drifting off into REM sleep, and they Mm -hmm. found that those who were not allowed to dream experienced increased tension, anxiety, depression, difficulty concentrating, lack of coordination, mm-hmm. weight gain, tendency to hallucinate. And I find it really interesting that when Ronan is unable to dream, he exhibits mm-hmm. multiple of those symptoms. Nightmares or bad dreams are common in children and adults, and often nightmares can be caused by stress or conflict and fear or trauma, emotional problems, medication or drug use, Mm -hmm. or just illness. Mm -hmm. If you have a recurring nightmare, your subconscious may be trying to tell you something and you should listen to it. If you can't figure out why you're having bad dreams and you continue to have them, it might be good to talk to like a healthcare provider Mm -hmm. uh, and they can help you figure out what of the causes we mentioned before could be doing that. Keep in mind that no matter how scary a nightmare is, it's not real and most likely will not happen to you in real life unless you're Ronan. Right. (laughs) 
A dream where you know you're dreaming and or it can affect the dream is called a lucid dream. Mm-hmm. I think we may have talked a little bit about we that. Have. Yeah. yeah. It's accompanied by an increased activation of parts of the brain that are normally suppressed during sleep. Mm-hmm. It represents a brain state between REM and being awake. Mm-hmm. The article also gave a couple of tips for remembering dreams. Mm-hmm. Which is, if you wake up without an alarm, you're more likely to remember it because the alarm will trigger you to just be like, turn Mm -hmm. off the alarm and you'll lose the dream. And remind yourself to remember, just like telling yourself before you fall asleep, remember your dreams Mm -hmm. can actually sometimes help. And then dream playback, like as soon as you wake up, write it out or like tell somebody that will help you remember it before it fades. Right. Okay, I think that's it. All right. Chapter 17 is a Ronin point of view. Ronan definitely dreams of the orphan girl and Adam, but it definitely doesn't mean anything. Nothing to see here. Wait, what's that over there? No, really, what's that over there? (laughs) Uh, All right. I wanted to start out by talking a little bit about the second epigraph of The Dream Thieves. It's a quote by T.E. Lawrence, otherwise known as Lawrence of Arabia, Mm -hmm. from his book, Titled Seven Pillars of Wisdom, it was published in 1926. This book is the autobiographical account of his experiences while serving as a liaison officer with rebel forces during the Arab revolt against the Ottoman Turks in 1916 to 1918. Mm -hmm. The passage, which is found in the introductory chapter, begins, All men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake in the day to find that it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for they may act their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. Cool. The book also starts with a beautiful poem that may possibly have been dedicated to one of his companions. Hmm. All right. And the first thing I had here was Adam's shabby apartment. Why is the mask in Adam's place? Why not the barns? Mm-hmm. It mentions, even in his dreams, Ronan couldn't go back to the barns. But here was something from the barns coming to him. Uh, yeah, well, duh. <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> in reality, the mask hung on his parents' dining room wall, well out of reach of curious hands. But in his dream, it hung at eye level on the wall of Adam's shabby apartment. My first time through, I associated this with the danger of Adam's bargain. I have no idea how I skipped over the significance of Ronan dreaming of Adam. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the original mask, the one that Niall dreamed, is really as dangerous as the one Ronan dreamed up, just because of the line, well out of the reach of curious hands. It quite possibly could be. Mm-hmm. It looked like a cheap tourist souvenir, eye holes round and surprised, easy big smile, big enough for lots of teeth. The juxtaposition is is unsettling. Yes. And it's like, how in the world can something sound like a horrible racist caricature and still be genuinely terrifying at the same time? Mm -hmm. This moment, the one when he realized he'd already created everything here with his own mind, that was when he could take something back with him. Mm -hmm. Orphan Girl says, this is cheating, dreaming a dream thing. Does this happen again in the books? Or has it happened often in the past? That's a good question. Orphan Girl says, I think I'm a psychopomp. Ronan replies that he doesn't know what that means. She knows something he doesn't. Mm -hmm. We did a brief overview of psychopomps in the Opal special episode. And here she says, I think it means I'm a raven. And ravens are classic psychopomps. Mm -hmm. This exchange also kind of makes me think, we talked about the idea that Chainsaw is Ronan's heart. Mm -hmm. Opal is his soul, like his wildness. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. 
Ronan says Cabe's water is gone. Far away isn't the same thing as gone. This is said by Adam. His hands are as black as he always thinks people are judging him for. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of the unmaking of the demon, viscous and dripping. Right. I love the description of Adam here, like, you know, in his uniforms, but with hands like he just came from work. It's kind of proof to me that Ronan sees all of Adam, like, Mm -hmm. just, and just, like, accepts him for what he is. Adam didn't ask permission, but Ronan didn't stop him, and this feels so intimate to me. Mm -hmm. And do you have any theories about what this represents, Adam putting on the mask? Maybe it's a combination of Ronan seeing that Adam thinks he needs to change who he is, Mm -hmm. thinks he needs to put on a face for the world, and also like the danger that Adam is in because of the sacrifice. Right. I was wondering if maybe it was a premonition of the demon overtaking Adam. I'll talk about that later. Mm -hmm. So I looked up the interpretation of the meaning of a mask in a dream, and this is from dreambible.com. To dream of a mask represents true intentions or true feelings that are being hidden. You or someone else that is not being honest or being themselves. Alternatively, a mask may reflect the truth of a situation that has been hidden. You or someone else that is pretending to act in a certain way. Concealing the truth or true emotions. To dream of a mask coming off represents the truth that is coming to light. True feelings or true intentions are being revealed. The truth of a situation is being revealed. A mask coming off may also reflect surprise that an angry or aggressive person is not really as bad as you first thought. Interesting. I liked that because not only could it be like Ronan and his feelings for Adam, Mm. but also just Ronan fearing that if he's revealing these abilities that he has, he could be putting Adam in danger. Right. Every tooth behind the smile was hungry. Adam's elegant jaw was starving. Elegant. It's the same word that Blue used to describe Adam. Mm -hmm. Shrieking a terrified warning, orphan girl dove behind Rudin. Okay, when your instincts are literally screaming at you, you should listen. Occident Aum. I believe this is kill him. Mm-hmm. And Ronan could hear the night horrors coming in love with his blood and his sadness. Their wings flapped in time with his heartbeat. That would be the most horrifying recurring nightmare. And mm-hmm. he dreams it all the freaking time. All the time. Ronan watches Adam be consumed by darkness, much like the demon attempts to consume Adam later. Yes. I noted the horror of watching Adam be consumed from the inside out as he almost is when the demon invades caves water right adam the monster a toothful king my note here was he could have been a villain yes he could have Mm -hmm. adam is a monster but ronan still tries to reach him ronan took adam's arm and said his name then adam attacks grabbing ronan by the throat fingers hooked in his skin ugh Mm -hmm. (laughs) this mirrors the scene from the raven king adam with his hand around ronan's neck Mm -hmm. but even as he is attacking one of his hands still tugged at the now invisible mask trying to free himself much like with the demon later this is adam fighting the thing that has taken his autonomy Uh and ronan could not kill him no matter how much orphan girl begged it was adam even a dream adam he can't hurt he would rather be hurt like near the end of the raven king when adam himself begged ronan to hurt him to make him stop choking ronan the choice was death or hurting adam which wasn't much of a choice at all page 391 of the raven king mm, like yeah that whole thing is just so <sighs> heart-wrenching and then niall lynch clear your mind of whimsy <laughs> <laughs> and so ronan cleared his mind of whimsy yeah. <laughs> 
Doesn't have much whimsy in his mind, yeah. I would think. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> the mask came away as easily as a petal from a flower. And I noted a flower, again, the first thing that Vernon took from a dream. Mm -hmm. It was only for Adam that it had been a prison. Like so many things we have recently seen, it's a prison of his own making. Mm -hmm. Opal begs to be taken away. I'm like, poor kid, this has to be terrifying even for her. Mm -hmm. Taking the mask off leaves a dying, gasping, bleeding Adam collapsed against the wall. I like horror, and this paragraph is intense. Uh-huh. Ronan pulls the mask from Adam. He'd revealed muscle and bone, teeth and eyeball. It's Adam stripped of his defenses. Mm-hmm. Adam slumped against the wall, life leaking from him. Ronan killed Adam after all, even though he didn't want to. Right. Then Ronan is desperate to save him. I'll put it back on. Please work. Mm-hmm. Noah wakes Ronan up. His body was frozen, as it always was after dreaming, but this time he could feel fire. He couldn't uncurl or answer or stop seeing Adam's ruined face. It's like sobs. Adam's ruined face. Mm -hmm. I noted here again that this also sounds a lot like descriptions of sleep paralysis. Mm -hmm. He floated above himself. The boy below him was locked in an unseeable battle, every vein standing on his arms and neck. Earlier, we talked about the lines on page 33. Just after waking, after dreaming, his body belonged to no one. He looked at it from above like a mourner at a funeral. Maggie recently released a snippet from a Dreamer trilogy book that I think takes place much the same way. He saw a young man in the bed below, motionless, but nonetheless looking as if he's spoiled for a fight. Shaved head, sharp jaw, thin lips, neck tattoo dark against his pale skin. Between his brows, the two furrowed lines formed the universal symbol for I'll fuck you up. His eyes were open, looking at nothing. They were blue. People generally think blue eyes are pretty, but his were not. They were not cornflower, sky, baby, indigo, azure. His were iceberg, squall, hypothermia, eventual death. (laughs) Wow. So I've seen people speculate that this might be a description of someone observing Ronan from the top bunk of a bunk bed, like in college or possibly jail. Ah, yeah. I tend to think, however, that it's either Ronan himself coming back from a dream, like in these two scenes that I mentioned, or it might be someone else scrying or getting a vision or astral projecting. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell. Yeah. We won't know until we read the book. Oh, I'm so excited for that. Mm-hmm. Noah was solid enough for him to leave an impression on the bedspread, but not enough to cast any sort of shadow. Mm-hmm. He's so almost gone. Right. Ronan brings the mask out of the dream. He'd have to destroy it. Maybe he could burn it. Kala later cautions Ronan, also, get rid of that mask. Mm-hmm. It's a nasty bit of work. That's page 168. In blue, lily, lily, blue, it's shown intact, but damaged. A mask hung high on the wall of Ronan's room, eyes wide, mouth gaping. It was blackened, as if by fire, and the edges were badly bitten, as if by a saw. Something that looked suspiciously like a tire track ran over one of its eyes. The mask made Blue think of words like survivor and destroyer. She didn't like it. Huh. That's page 63. So this has always been one of the biggest questions for me regarding the Green Mantle setup. Whose DNA, Ronan wondered, would a lab find in that blood? Yours? Noah asked, barely audible. Is Noah answering the question that wasn't asked out loud? (laughs) I think he is. Yeah. And also, like, I wondered about all that kind of stuff as well. Right. Like, what is it made of? What is it really made of? Right. Not only that, but 
he's manifesting body parts that would have DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. what, what is it made of? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what fingerprints are actually on those fingers? Mm-hmm. Behind Ronan's closed eyelids, it was Adam's dreadful face he saw. And then Will Patton makes an unbelievably creepy sound in the audiobook. Tick, 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 tick. Tick, 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 tick. Ah! Uh-huh. It's described as a rapid sound like a drinking straw and bicycle spokes. And again, it's something mundane that has become extremely creepy. Mm-hmm. Noah, what were you dreaming about? Did he not see? Did he just know that Ronan was in distress? That's a good question. I mean, maybe not. Yeah. Chapter 18, Gansey POV. Gansey is chilling in his broken down hunk of junk Camaro with a new battery, (laughs) soaking in the ambiance when Noah drags him out of his reverie and into a discovery of Ronan with blood all over his hands. This definitely can't be good. Mm -hmm. They gruesomely fight one of Ronan's dream creatures, but, well, one got away. Mm Mm-hmm. As a general note, I think one of the reasons I love the Dream Thieves so much is that the horror genre is right in my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. It was so incredibly surprising when the scary horror elements came into this series, and I really haven't encountered it in any of her other books. Right. I mean, obviously, Scorpio Races has some parts that Mm -hmm. are a little bit scary, but they're not the sustained sort of horror that I feel like the Dream Thieves has. Which is weird because you're dealing with literal nightmares, basically. (laughs) Yeah, And then, you know, the Raven King has a lot of pretty gruesome stuff, too. Mm. It had been a while since he'd had to wake up early for crew team practice, but he still sometimes sat bolt upright at 4.45 a.m. I also have to wake up at this time every day. And believe me, that's the true nightmare of these books. After the disappearance of Caveswater, Gainsey couldn't bring himself to be productive. Mm-hmm. He'd spent so many hours in the pig like this, doing homework before going into class or stranded by the side of the road, or wondering what he would do if he ever found Glendower, that it felt like home. He loves this flippin' car. Yeah. The pig is much like Henrietta. It's the thing that fits him. It gives him comfort. Like his journal, like Monmouth, like his stupid boat shoes. Uh-huh. The pig smelled intimately of old vinyl and gasoline, and I'm like, those are good smells. Yep, (laughs) you do you. (laughs) A single mosquito worried at his ear. It's not a wasp, but it is reminiscent. Mm -hmm. And just a beautiful line, a high tremolo against the basso continuo of the rain and thunder. Mm Mm-hmm. Cabe's water's gone. Glendower is there. He must be. And it's gone. Uh, here we get to the crux of Gansey's distress. Mm-hmm. With Cabe's water gone, he believes that he will never be able to find Glendower. Right. Drops pattered and dispersed on the windshield. And this is also reminiscent of his second death. Mm-hmm. He thought about the day that he'd been stung to death by hornets. And I'm like, yeah, me too. Uh-huh. That he should have so many friends and yet feel so alone. He felt it fell to him to comfort them, but never the other way around. I'm like, that's not true. And if it is, it's because you won't let them. Right. It also seems to very much be something people with depression struggle with, or, you know, often just mental illnesses in general. I will listen to your problems, but will not burden you with mine. Right. Gansey is berating himself, as it should be, he thought, abruptly angry with himself. You've had it the easiest. You died, you dork. Mm-hmm. What good is all your privilege, you soft, spoiled thing, if you can't stand on your own legs? Okay, we may give Gansey a lot of guff, but mm-hmm. this is heartbreaking. 
It is. I just want to tell him, it's like, your privilege doesn't mean you should never need help and support. Uh It just means you should give it whenever possible. Right. I'm kind of glad we get a break in tension with Noah seeming a little silly in his panic. Noah immediately spotted Gansey and made a generalized flapping gesture. Uh It seemed to mean he wanted Gansey and, furthermore, that he was feeling fairly urgent about it. It's it's a short moment of levity for me, anyway. It definitely is. I can see, like, I can just see Noah just being like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys can't see that at all. <laughs> we were both just flapping our hands. Oh, thankfully, podcast is not a visual medium. All right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> A distraught Noah drags Gansey inside. The small smells of the building, the rusty fixtures, the wormholed wood, his mint plants had been overtaken by an unfamiliar odor. Something damp and strangely fertile and unpleasant. It makes me think of mushrooms and mold and rotting logs on a forest floor. Agreed. We get our first good look at the ground floor of Monmouth, that part that is unused, spacious, timeless, and eerie. Right. Everything was dust in this forgotten factory. The ground, the walls, the shifting shape of the air. And I agree that it would be that way, especially at night. Mm -hmm. Ronan's close-shaved head was bowed, but everything else about his posture suggested vigilance, distrust. I have this very distinct, almost sensory picture of Ronan, half in shadow and half in dust-filled morning light, arms spread like a saint or a Catholic statue in benediction. Mm -hmm. I can so see that. And Gansey thinks to himself that the Ronin he first met would have been intrigued but wary of the young man standing in the moats of dust. Yeah, do not think of this Ronin. Remember the other one. They are one and the same. Yeah, my note was, but this Ronin is the one you have and the one who needs you. Mm -hmm. A thought. Is Adam more easily able to accept Ronin as he is now because he doesn't have the other one to compare to? That's a good point. A good Mm -hmm. question. It might be. Chainsaw rolling around in the dust confuses me. What is she doing and why? Mm-hmm. Chainsaw rolled in the dust between his feet, in the midst of ecstasy or seizure. When she saw Gansey, she stilled and studied him with one eye and then the other. Renan must be in a total state of panic right now. Mm-hmm. And Chainsaw is his heart. So Gansey calms Ronan, so it makes sense that he'd calm Chainsaw as well. Mm-hmm. She's just reflecting his, like, Internal panic, panic mm-hmm. right. Que mad modum gladius neminem occident occidente tellum est. This is indeed Seneca the Younger, circa 4 BC to AD 65. Mm-hmm. And it's a quote from his moral letters to Lucilius in letter 87. In a way, though, Seneca meant it almost as the opposite of what it's being used as here. He says... Certain men answer this objection as follows. You are mistaken if you ascribe disadvantages to riches. Riches injure no one. It is a man's own folly or his neighbor's wickedness that harms him in each case. Just as a sword by itself does not slay, it is merely the weapon used by the slayer. Riches themselves do not harm you just because it is on account of riches that you suffer harm. And then he goes on to say, I think that the reasoning of Poseidonus is better. He holds that riches are a cause of evil, not because of themselves they do any evil, but because they goad men on so that they are ready to do evil. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was... Yeah, that's really interesting. Gansey had a strict policy of avoiding noun declension before breakfast. Nerd. (laughs) I laughed out loud at this too. Yeah. Gansey, (laughs) Jesus Christ, is that yours? 
Adams. Ronan here is a wild thing. And what is making him most wild? I feel like it's the danger to Adam. Mm-hmm. And theory that Ronan was most seduced by Kavinsky because of the promise of controlling his dreams. So that he, he would never have to see this again. Mm-hmm. Do you remember last year, Ronan asked, when I told you it wouldn't happen again? Yeah, I can just hear the pain for both of them in Mm. this quote. Noah discovering Ronan in a slick of his own blood, veins ripped to shreds, hours in the hospital, counseling and promises. In chapter nine of The Raven Boys, six months ago, the only time it had ever mattered, Noah had found Ronan in an introspective pool of his own blood, and so he was exempt from ever having to look again. Mm. Ronan admits that what happened back then, that scene we're talking about, was a nightmare that a monster he had dreamed ripped him up, but he never told the truth because his dad told him never to tell what he could do. Oh my god, I hate that guy. Mm-hmm. And Gansey's like, and so you let me think you tried to kill yourself? And I can see how this would hit Gansey super hard. Right. Gansey has been carrying this huge fear with him. Ronan allowed the weight of his blue-eyed gaze to rest heavily on Gansey, making him understand he wasn't getting another answer. His father had told him never to tell, and so he had never told. And this may be one of the most quintessential Ronan Lynch lines ever, and he never actually said anything. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be quintessentially Ronan Lynch. <laughs> Gansey felt the entire year reshaping itself in his head. It's everything Ronan had ever said about Adam restructured itself against his mind. Mm -hmm. It's page 264 of The Raven King. For someone who is Ronan's best friend, he somehow doesn't seem to see as deeply into his soul as one might think. Mm -hmm. It was easier for Gansey to wrap his head around a Ronan who made dreams real than a Ronan who wanted to die. He does, though. Ronan denying that he's suicidal when later he realizes he is. His own self-loathing manifest, it's tearing him apart. But having it be an external force, there's really no accountability on his soul. Right. There's no sin there. Right. That's where the nightmares come from, is Mm -hmm. that that deep-seated feeling. And then he says, something else got out too. Mm-hmm. And this reminded me of the scene with Kavinsky. Kavinsky leapt to his feet. Your suicide attempt, man. I saw it happen. The gate's right by Proko's window. I saw you wake up and the blood appear. I knew what you were. That had been months and months ago, before the street racing had even begun. All this time, Kavinsky had known all this time. Mm-hmm. And that's page 300 of The Dream Thieves. Something scratched on the floorboard. It's like, I'm having Silent Hill flashbacks now. (laughs) (laughs) Ronan tells Gansey that Gansey should be preparing himself for what's in my head. Gansey didn't think there was a way to steal oneself for that. And there's probably not. Right. And Ronan's holding the doorknob. His knuckles were white with the effort of keeping it from turning. Strength. It knows they're there. Ronan said, kill it. He flung open the door. Direct action. Short, punchy sentences. Tension ratcheting up. Uh Uh-huh. This thing is terrifying. It was a shadow. And then it was a thing. Fast. Black. Bigger than he'd expected. Realer than he'd expected. It was as tall as he was. Two-legged. Clothed in something torn, black, greasy. Gansey couldn't stop staring at the beak. Gansey became aware of a claw. Dozens of them. Massive, shiny, curled to needle points. They snatched at Ronan. Imagine those tearing Ronan apart every night. 
I find it interesting that the nightmare focuses almost solely on Ronan, even when Gansey is closer until Gansey actually attacks it. Right. In love with his blood and his sadness. Mm-hmm. The creature launched itself through the air and perched on a door jam, hands between his legs, clinging like a spider. Jesus! Yeah. It makes me think of a gargoyle perching on the side of a building. Uh-huh. Red-pupiled eyes snapped shut and open. The red eyes remind me of the Mothman. Are all cryptids dream creatures? They could be. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bird, a dinosaur, a demon. And all three feel like very accurate descriptions. Mm-hmm. Ronan dreams what Gansey would consider a demon instead of the horrendous wasp we get later. Mm-hmm. And Gansey thinks, no wonder Ronan never sleeps. No kidding. Right. The creature flew at Ronan, hooks and beak, black and twisted. And Guibus at Rostro, claws and beak. We'll likely be talking about this a lot later. Mm-hmm. Gansey saw the thing's claws seize Ronan's arm, matching scabs beneath the fresh ones. It's just a recurring dream. This happens mm. all the freaking time. Right. It also makes me think both of the scars that Chainsaw leaves, and of course the fact that we know Ronan hides the scars on his wrists. Mm-hmm. The beak darted for Ronan's face. Well, he did warn Gansey to protect his eyes. Uh-huh. He probably comes out of it with a wicked cool scar that matches Blue's later. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ronan could die and Gansey wouldn't know until after. Shiver. My comment was terrifying. Uh Uh-huh. He felt the blade make contact, bite into greasy flesh. Suddenly there was a claw around his neck and a claw shoved into the thin skin under his chin. Only now, when Gansey gets a physical hit in, Mm -hmm. does the thing actually attack him. And it's hooked into his throat, just like Adam had Ronan in the dream. Uh Uh-huh. Ronan smashed the crowbar into the creature's head, and then he smashed it again, and once more. Shades of his father. Exactly. He could have grabbed anything at all, but there's something incredibly symbolic and purposeful about using a crowbar to bash a nightmare creature's skull in. Uh Uh-huh. So it was the creature holding Gansey holding the creature, and then Ronan cutting its throat. It was neither fast nor bloodless. It was as ragged and slow as cutting wet cardboard. Evocative, but... Yeah, I can almost hear the sound. Uh Gross. Gansey feels under his jaw the memory of being caught on the claw wouldn't soon leave him. He felt perilously undone, like he needed to hold on to something or be washed away. He kept his voice even. Even here, he is able to hide his shock and fear with years of training. Mm -hmm. Are you murdered? Renan asked. I think so. Is it dead? If it isn't, it's a worse nightmare than I thought. (laughs) Is it weird that I both laughed and shuddered at this? (laughs) No, it's pretty darn funny and pretty darn creepy. Gansey was being made to understand all of this with a confession. A look into who Ronan really had been the entire time he'd known him. Ronan is saying, accept me. Tell me you won't turn away. Mm Mm-hmm. What a world of wonders and horrors, and Glendower was only one of them. Mm Mm-hmm. And Gansey finally said, Seneca, that's who said that, right? In a mm. deleted scene, there is a variation of this. Ronan's eyes followed the progress of the silent night horror. In a low voice, he said, Volat nullus strepitus facientibus. Fuck, whispered Adam back furiously. Is that Ovid? <laughs> Hilariously, this is from Ovid's Metamorphosis, as mentioned in the deep dive, and it's actually about Morpheus, and roughly it says, he flies through the darkness on noiseless wings. (laughs) Which I only knew after I looked it up. I already had the Ovid stuff in the deep dive, and you had talked about Morpheus, so... 
Renan's smile was sharp and hooked as one of the creature's claws. A sword is never a killer. It is a tool in the killer's hand. Yeah, and Gansey says, I can't believe Noah didn't stick around to help. Renan says, sure you can. Never trust the dead. I just have to laugh at this. It's, uh-huh. Oh my god. Creepy. <laughs> In the other room, Chainsaw was making anxious noises, worried over the fate of him. Oh, poor love. Aww. And actually, I didn't mention it earlier, but there's a moment in the beginning where he sets Chainsaw down on the desk and he makes soothing noises at her. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, but heart. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that too. I, I thought I meant a note yeah. about that scene because she talks about how she fades into the darkness or mm-hmm. fades into the shadow. Yeah. I just thought that was really appropriate. Mm-hmm. And then Ronan says, there was another one. He said, it got away. Mm -hmm. Chekhov's night horror. (laughs) It's the ticking time bomb that adds tension. Uh The characters and the audience know this creature will appear again. It helps ratchet up the mystery, the tension, and the stakes. Mm And with that, we are one third of the way through the Dream Thieves. I do feel like here we are reaching the end of Act One in our storytelling structure. With Cabeswater disappearing, the killing of the Night Horror, the escape of a second one, and then going to the barns in the next chapter, Uh it seems we've hit the climax of the first act here, and we're well on our way into the rising action and story obstacles in the next section. Right. All righty then. NBC. Okay. Are you super excited about your NBC? Okay. Moderately so. <laughs> I had a really hard time picking an NBC for these chapters. Me too. So I kind of had like a first and a second <laughs> possibility. I'm, I'm going to go with Ronan. Okay. Ronan was my first or second. Who <laughs> <laughs> was your other one? Well, I actually thought Gansey. Huh. Even though Gansey doesn't have a lot of screen time i mean he does Mm -hmm. through other folks eyes right but you see how adam saw gansey and you see like adam's observations of gansey and you see how gansey is able to kind of work things out with declan Mm -hmm. and then you see gansey assisting ronan and kind of like trying to put the pieces together right ronan was definitely like you know Neck and neck. I also, of course, really liked Adam. Uh-huh. And these. So, like, uh, any, uh, Ronan's great with me. I mean, <laughs> it, he he does do, like, the dreaming and the mm. all of that stuff. And Adam was great with his observations of people. Right. And his, like, fear. There's so many good choices. Right. So, do we go with Ronan? Do we want to? If you want. Okay, then we'll go with Ronan. Yay! Yay. When will you ever not? When will you ever not say yes to Ronan? <laughs> well, you you originally would have probably not said yes to Ronan. <laughs> no, when you specifically. Oh, me. You? Oh, I see. When would I never say yes to Ronan? I see. This is true. I mean, I could have fought for the other ones, but like, I mm. I legitimately was on the fence with okay. with like cool deal. Yay! Ronan. So all right. Maggie Watch 2019. 2019. (laughs) Maggie drew an exclusive signed limited edition print for Indie Bookstore Day 2019, which is happening on April 27th. The print depicts what looks like Ronan surrounded by and possibly directing a pack of hellhounds. And Maggie said, I'm not saying that this is a favorite scene of mine from an upcoming book, but I'm not not saying it. (laughs) 
You can get more information about Indie Bookstore Day at www.indiebookstoreday.com and you can find locations of bookstores near you at indiemap.bookweb.org. I'm not entirely sure how the print giveaway will work, but I'm sure hoping to get one myself. That would be awesome. We are going to say thank you very much to Hannah for giving us an absolutely lovely email. It, it was really amazing. Was. And I won't read all of it because it's rather long and we did both read all the way through. <laughs> but I will read the beginning and we'll probably talk about some of the theory that you proposed. They say, hi, I'm that girl from Twitter who's afraid of the withdrawal that will come with catching up on episodes. It wasn't until recently when I've decided to finally dive in. The Raven Girls has provided me genuine moments of happiness. Each episode is intelligent, insightful, and a motherfucking delight. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, it's evident how much work you put into every episode, and it blows me away with how thorough you are. Your commentary has made me love TRC even more, which I didn't think was possible, if I'm being honest. As much as I'm dreading catching up and experiencing withdrawal, I'm excited to get to the point where I can read along with you as you come out with episodes. Yay! Thank you so much. That really, like... very, very sweet. And there is a great theory that we'll talk about when there's time to talk about it or when it's relevant. And I just want to say... You know, these things make our day and anyone, Mm -hmm. you're welcome to email us or get in touch with us any other way. We love absolutely everything that folks have to tell us. And thank you, Hannah, from the bottom of my heart, from Shannon's heart as well, probably. Absolutely. All right. I do have a question for the audience. If anyone at all knows the process of how to get ARCs, obviously, specifically of the first book of the Dreamer trilogy, we would be forever in your debt. I know there are book cons and publishing events where they're handed out, but I haven't seen any news of that so far, and I don't think we'd be able to go anyway. Mm -hmm. And I doubt Maggie will release digital copies after what happened with Blue Lily, Lily Blue, although she might. Mm -hmm. I would love if we could get our hands on physical copies. So please, if you happen to know or in the publishing business and know how to get on a list or anything, please get in touch. That would be amazing. And with that, that wraps it up. Thanks for joining us today. Our next episode will cover chapters 19 through 22 of The Dream Thieves with a few mini deep dives on various topics. Mm -hmm. And our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of the release schedule. So follow us online for announcements of what chapters we'll be covering. And again, feel free to get in touch because we read everything and we totally love it. Absolutely. You can find us practically everywhere on social media at Raven Girls, R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S. On Twitter at Raven Girls, on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls, and you can reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com. Yep. And that, of course, does go to both of us. So mm-hmm. it's awesome to be able to get those emails there. Absolutely. You can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or at Gmail, Substance Party with all of the A's taken out. And it's S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. And if we have reference to post or article in the podcast, we will do our very best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Steve Otter and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And until next time, whoop whoop Raven Girls! All right.
I have a drinking problem. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Do not make that the stinger. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just because Belgian beer went down my boobies? What? <laughs> Okay. All right. <laughs> Chapter 16, Navita. All right. 